Welcome, thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say thanks that you've got some time to spend with us today. Here in the building on Sunday mornings during Advent, we've had a, a Bible study going on. We're looking at the question, who needs Christmas? And so here's the big question we'd love for your input on. You can put it here in the chat. What can you do this season to focus on the meaning of this Christmas story in our culture and in your life? And we'll share with you some of the thoughts that our friends have had here on Sunday morning. I also want to share with you that we're doing a Compassion Giving Tree here in the lobby at the church, but you can participate online and there's a link here in the worship notes uh, and you can do it quickly and easily here online and we'd love to have uh, you be a participant in that. We want to bless people who are a long ways from our home, but be able to send the encouragement of the gospel and the good work that Compassion International does. And as we gather here this morning, as we begin our time of worship, we are lighting the third candle in our Advent wreath, and it's called the Candle of Joy. Like sheep that wander too far from the shepherd, we also lose our way. And once ensnared by the thicket, all we long for is our release. What did God pay for this ransom? He sent us his son. Dreams. Have you ever had one? Maybe two? Maybe even last night? Did you know that the average person has between four and six dreams every night. And to be honest, some of those are five minutes long, but they can be up to 20 minutes long. And what's amazing, if you add that all up, that's almost six years of your life that you spend dreaming. Now, it's interesting, over the years, literally over the centuries, the dreams have been written about and they have been conveyed in all sorts of different mediums, art, in the Bible, there's over a hundred times that the idea of a dream has taken place where God supernaturally communicates to his people, to a person or a group of people, using dreams as a way of communicating that. And yet also today, people are conveying stories uh, on how they are encountering the divine in, in the same kind of way through dreams. Now, what's interesting is that research tells us that anywhere between 95 and 99% of a person's dreams are forgotten when you wake up. And yet, some dreams are unforgettable, and they're actually life-changing. And we're going to talk about one of those this morning. Dr. Jim Dennison has written extensively about a global phenomenon that is happening, especially among the Muslim community. Uh, and this uh, includes the idea, very real idea, of dreams. Dr. Dennison has some interesting statistics and stories that suggest that more Muslims have come to know Jesus Christ in the last 20 years than in the previous 15 centuries combined, and that many Muslims are responding to these visions and dreams. Dr. Dennison writes, God speaks to us in whatever language and ways we can understand. He became one with us that we might be one with him. Muslim miraculous stories are especially persuasive to me because those who share them have so little to gain and so much to lose. Many Muslim converts are exiled from their families and homes. 
Many are tortured and many are killed. Their courageous faith is testimony to the hope found only in Jesus and the transforming power of the Spirit. One of Dr. Dennison's colleagues, a gentleman by the name of Tom Doyle, he is a longtime missionary to the Middle East. Mr. Doyle's many years of living and serving in the Islamic world that he has seen firsthand, he's actually witnessed these great miracles of how Jesus Christ is revealing himself to Muslims around the globe, and Jesus is using dreams to accomplish that. In fact, the book Dreams and Visions is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World. He says that from Egypt to Saudi Arabia, from Iran to Jordan, from Syria to Iraq, and to Afghanistan, the stories read like the pages of the book of Acts in the New Testament. Here's a couple stories. There was an Egyptian evangelist who was rousted from his bed at gunpoint and forced into a room where he was convinced he was going to be executed. It was in this room that he met a group of imams, which are mosque leaders, who had been converted to Christianity, to knowing who Jesus is, through visions and dreams, and they wanted him to teach them the Bible. Or another story about a woman in Saudi Arabia who met Jesus in her dreams, and she now worships in her bathroom as she prays for her husband to come to know Jesus in a personal way. Dr. Dennison posts the question, why is the Holy Spirit using dreams to reach Muslims today? He says it's because they are open to such revelation, that as their faith began with the visions of the prophet Muhammad, and it's interesting that since 60 to 80% of the Muslim world is illiterate, God would need to speak to them verbally and directly in their lives. He says the God who spoke to the patriarchs, the prophets, and the apostles through visions is now speaking to Muslims in the very same way. Long ago, the Lord did what he continues to do today. As Isaiah the prophet once wrote, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. That's Isaiah 65.1. For us this morning, that verse certainly does bring together this call of Christmas for our person we're going to look at today is Joseph. It would be a call to protect not only Mary, whom he would take as his bride, but also Jesus that would be born of his virgin bride by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here, let's jump into this week. We're in Matthew, and Matthew's telling of this particular story in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It, here, Matthew unpacks how the angel of the Lord gave this call through a dream in the night as Joseph was asleep. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. There were 14 generations between Father Abraham and King David. 14 more generations between David and the Babylonian exile. And 14 generations later, the great king would be born. 
a 2,000-year lineage comprised of slaves and kings, heroes and adulterers, prophets and prostitutes. They were the faithful and the faithless. So what kind of king would this be? While many dreamed of the day this king would come, it began as a real-life nightmare for one man. A good man, with God's lot cast upon him. Joseph. Joseph. I promise you, Joseph, I am telling you the truth. I'm not saying you don't believe it. I'm just saying... I don't know if I do. So, what are you saying? Take her as your wife. Take her as your wife. She's pregnant! I haven't been with her! The baby's not mine! Take Mary as your wife. I can't do this! I don't... I don't want to hurt her. But I... I can't. Divorcer. Joseph, you are a descendant of David. Your ancestors have taken great steps of faith, and now it is time for you to step out. Take Mary as your wife. But the baby is... What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It is prophecy fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Messiah. dream, a heavenly visitation, and what was distressing became a blessing, a blessing that would challenge Joseph's faith, demand every ounce of his character, and forever alter the course of his life and yours. God with us. What kind of king would this be? It's interesting that the, throughout the call of Christmas in the gospel accounts, the presence of an angel only occurs in a dream in Joseph's situation, and we find it here in the book of Matthew. With Zechariah and with Mary, and we'll see next week with the shepherds, 
they all received their angelic call in real time, in real people, and right in front of them. They were awake, if you will, as they, it was recorded. And what's interesting in each of these angelic accounts, the angel begins his message with a command not to be afraid. You know, I'm going to guess that emotions had been running high for Joseph in particular as he processed the reality that Mary, the one whom he was to take as his wife, was pregnant. Yes, I'm going to guess that fear at least would have been present. And then the other emotions like anger and sadness and uncertainty, rejection, disappointment, and a whole bunch of others that I haven't even named that would be coursing through Joseph's soul at this very news. We see this in verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, as we said last week in talking about Mary's understanding of her circumstance, here too we mention again the idea of, of this uh, being betrothed. Uh, that in the first century, in the Jewish culture, it meant a lot more than it does today. Uh, this idea, it wasn't just simply engaged, put a ring on it. It really meant that this couple was legally married in the eyes of the law. But due to the custom of the day, they were in a waiting period that would enable their love and faithfulness to be tested as Joseph got ready and he prepared a home that would demonstrate his ability to provide and to give protection for his wife. And then they would live together, no longer apart. This waiting period was a time to prepare for intimacy, and it was a cultural call for chastity, as was expected as the norm in that day. Even back then, true love waited until marriage to express itself in sexual intimacy. When Joseph found out that Mary was with child, his eventual desire to protect included both Mary's well-being and his own. Joseph's desire to keep Mary from public disgrace shows his, what we would call bentness, if you will, towards being the protector and the provider. Now, a loud and public divorce certainly was within Joseph's rights, and the law allowed for it before, as long as there were two witnesses, and we find that in the Old Testament. If you want to look at it later, it's Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31. Because of the description of Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, says that he was a just man, I'm guessing he didn't want to shame Mary publicly any more than she was already ashamed and feeling a sense, because I'm sure there was a baby bump uh, as a child grew. With the eventual birth of her child, it would be a constant reminder of what we would say what she did, right? That would be hers to bear among the cutting eyes and the whispers and all the gossip of the community. So we see something about Joseph's character here. What Joseph wanted to do was to protect Mary, uh, to do that as much as possible by doing a simple, quiet divorce that once his emotional heart had settled and his cognitive mind took over. But his own protection was at play too in this decision. Had he gone ahead and taken Mary as his wife, it might be perceived as the unspoken admission that he was guilty he was the biological father of the child Mary was carrying. And thus a divorce would protect his righteousness, if you will, under the law, his reputation, if you will, in the community, and it would still allow his compassion to remain intact all the same. So here we have Joseph, his mind is full, and he has his plan in place. 
And so then Joseph goes to bed. And that's when the call of Christmas would come to Joseph soon. It would come as a dream while he slept. Again, looking here at Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Perhaps God communicated via the angel in this divine dream because he knew this was the only way to change Joseph's mind because it was about going to the extremes. Because we know that Joseph thought he had so much to lose if not for the divorce. He soon would come to experience how much he was being entrusted with by God that the entire world would gain. God so loved the world that he was about to give him into the protective custody of a young carpenter. What an incredible responsibility. I can't even imagine it. And then the naming of the child held a calling beyond belief. The names that we've referenced in the reading we just had from Matthew chapter 1 are for God's Son, and they help us to understand the consequence, if you will, of what it means for God to take on flesh. The two names mentioned are Jesus and Emmanuel. Again, our biblical scholar friend, Tom Wright, uh, says, Jewish names are, are rich with meaning and destiny. Jesus, in that day, was a popular name for boys. The name Jesus, in Hebrew, would be the same as Joshua, or simply Yeshua. Maybe you've heard that before. Joshua was an important name in Israelite history because that name reminded the Jewish people of the one who led the Israelites into the Promised Land after the death of Moses. And as Matthew writes here in his gospel, he's writing particularly to a Jewish audience, he sees Jesus as the one who now will complete what the law of Moses pointed to, but it could not of itself complete. Yeshua, Jesus, will rescue his people, not from the slavery in Egypt, but from the slavery of sin and death and Satan and hell. He's going to save them from the exile they have suffered, not just in Babylon, like written about in the Old Testament, but also in their own hearts and lives. That this meaning of the name Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, means God saves. Now, Jesus was a popular name at the time, we said, and that many boys had been given that, but no parent in their right mind would have given their son the name Emmanuel. It just wasn't going to happen. It carried with it too much pressure and too much expectation. It'd be like calling your child Messiah. The name Emmanuel means God with us. But it's interesting how Matthew basically bookends his gospel with this characteristic of Jesus as the God who is indeed with his people. It's an interesting thing to point out here that when you read the book of Matthew, that Matthew begins by letting his readers know up front that this child that Mary is carrying inside her womb is to be the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We read that last week. There's many others too. This leads to God being with us in the flesh. He took on flesh and moved in the neighborhood, as I like to say, John chapter 1, verse 14. And then we get to the last words uh, that Matthew records in his gospel. At the very end of the gospel message, they echo the same kind of characteristic of the Savior who is with his people. Again, verse 20 of chapter 28. 
and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's nothing small that Emmanuel, this great word, is seen in the first chapter of Matthew, and then we find Emmanuel is conveying in the last chapter of, of Matthew, and that the meaning of Emmanuel has been woven all throughout the pages of the Bible. It's so encouraging. And this idea of the concept of God being with his people was rooted deeply in the mind of a Jewish person. Remember, it's been 400 years since God has really spoken, and the people are expecting the coming Messiah. Matthew knew that those that would read him, that would read his gospel, would pick up on the nuances and the references all throughout his work. They would see it. This important characteristic of God being with his people as the Emmanuel was no exception. The fact that the two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, are coupled in this Christmas story will likely draw the mind's attention of the Jew back to Deuteronomy chapter 31 when Joshua, Yeshua, is present with the Israelites and so is the Lord God himself. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel and he said to them, I am 120 years old today and I no longer am able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy those nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Shehan and Og and the kings of the Amorites and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. These are the types of deep-rooted character traits that the Jewish people were looking for in this coming Messiah, a God who would save them, Yeshua, Jesus, and a God who would be with them, Emmanuel. Again, Tom Wright says for us, how the two names together, the Jesus and Emmanuel, express the meaning of the story, that God is present with his people. God doesn't intervene from a distance, but is always active and sometimes in the most unexpected ways. And again, to make this practical, let me ask you a question. Is there a situation right now that you're going through this Christmas that desperately needs a God intervention in an unexpected way? Maybe you have a desperate need for healing. Or maybe you have a desperate need for God to provide for provision. Or maybe you have a desperate need for forgiveness. The cool thing and the most amazing thing is, is that God knows where you are and what your situational circumstance is of whatever the desperation you may find yourself in. And he wants you to call on his name. He wants you to ask and to keep on asking for him to show up and to show off even in your life. Now the question again is, will you be ready for him to break in and break through into your situation? I'm guessing the chances are good that when God does show up, he will ask you to do something you may not have thought to do on your own. That's what we've seen in these last three weeks, right? Looking at Zechariah and looking at Mary and now looking at Joseph. And that's what he ended up doing with Joseph through the dream. You see, God's actions are aimed at saving people from a helpless situation that demands that he take the initiative and do things that people may regard as inconceivable, literally. God always takes the initiative. We need to see that. It's never been about whether you have the intestinal fortitude or the religious determination. 
It's always been about humans receiving good gifts of salvation and God's provision from their Heavenly Father. This is what Isaiah goes on to convey in his prophecy about the coming Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Joseph was given this call of Christmas, as we say, through a dream. The angel conveyed he was to be given not only a son to raise, but also a wife to take as his own. He was given the responsibility and a call to protect them both. Joseph was to call the baby's name Jesus, and he would be our Emmanuel. He would save us and be with us always. What an incredible dream. What an incredible call. And then what came next? Well, here, verses 24 and 25 of Matthew chapter 1. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Do you see this? What came next from Joseph was immediate obedience. The dream that the Lord had given Joseph as he slept and the angelic call that came in the night resulted in his immediate action. This betrothal season was ended by Joseph. He took Mary as his wife and they moved in together, but they didn't consummate their marriage until after Jesus had been born. The gospels go on to state in multiple places that Jesus had siblings which lets us know that Mary and Joseph didn't remain abstinent after Jesus was born. In fact, they had children. They were a normal married couple with an abnormal call on their lives to be the parents of God in the flesh. Joseph did the best he could, as did his bride Mary. Joseph's call was to protect his wife and his newborn son. They were his responsibility. Another biblical scholar, D.A. Carson, suggests that throughout Matthew chapter 1 and 2, what we see is the pattern of God's sovereign intervention followed by Joseph's response is repeated. While the story is told simply, Joseph's obedience and submission under these circumstances is scarcely less remarkable than Mary's. Mary is credited with honor for her response in Luke chapter 1 verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. And so, too, with Joseph, he should be commended for his immediate obedience because when he woke up from his sleep, he could have said, it's only a dream. That's not what he said. But God communicated to him in a way that gave him courageous faith and a call to protect this woman and child that would change the world. He did not forget this dream when he awoke. In fact, it was unforgettable, and it was life-changing. Another great pastor, John MacArthur, suggests that such a call to protect and a responsibility from God to Joseph should give some indication of the depth of his godliness and his character. Surely God would not entrust his own son into a family where the father was not totally committed and faithful to him. And yet we know very little about Joseph's life beyond the ways he responded to the dreams God gave him and the messages that the angel conveyed as he slept. We do know, though, that Joseph took Mary and Jesus to dedicate their son in the temple after he was born, and that's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 and 20 through 33. Thus, there was a demonstrated a deep devotion to the Lord and the practices of dedicating their family to serving and worshiping him. We then see the dream sequences that showed the continued call to protect from the angel to Joseph not long after Jesus was born and the Magi had come to visit and bring gifts. Matthew chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 gives us a scene and recounts these dreams. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Again we have Joseph heeding this call to protect his wife and his son as the angel has communicated through the dream. Once more we see the pattern of immediate obedience from receiving the call to obeying what he knew to do. It would not be the last time he responded to an angelic call through a dream. After Herod dies, the angel comes back. Matthew chapter 2, 19 through 23, retells that account. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in a place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The pattern of Joseph heeding of the call to protect his family, followed by immediate obedience, is worth noting and probably practicing in our own lives. So again, a little question here. What is it that God is calling you to do this Christmas immediately? Is there a habit that needs to be stopped immediately? Is there an addiction that must be admitted to immediately? Is there a relationship that needs to be cultivated immediately? Is there a move that needs to be made immediately? When we hear the call of God in our lives, I pray that we would be a people who respond with immediate obedience. That's what Joseph did. In fact, that's what Mary did last week as we talked about her life. And it impacted a way that Jesus was shaped as he was raised by his family. And in particular, how his father here on earth, Joseph, raised him. Joseph resettled his family in Nazareth after living as refugees during the early years of Jesus' life and Joseph and Mary's marriage. Joseph would find his niche in Nazareth as the village builder and repairman. Not only did Jesus follow in his father's footsteps as a carpenter, but we also see that Jesus deliberately adopted the name Father for God. It's not a stretch to suggest that the way Jesus viewed his earthly father, Joseph, had a huge and an enormous impact on how he related to his heavenly father. He called them both Abba, Father, Daddy. That's an incredible challenge to any dad everywhere. How will you live your life? How will you approach your work? How will you engage in worship? How will you pray your prayers? And how will you connect with your family? All of these have a monumental impact. They leave an imprint and they leave an influence on our kids. The way our kids view us has a tremendous impact on how they will view God. And the way a person views who God is has everything to do with how a person relates to God. So this call to protect goes way beyond safety. It goes beyond security and provision for your family. It also goes to the depths of helping give an accurate view of what a healthy and authentic relationship with God looks like. And it's my prayer as we lean into this season that we may all demonstrate a life in such a way 
that we honor the God who saved us and the God who is with us, our Jesus, our Emmanuel. May we share him with a world that needs to know him and his everlasting protection. Amen.